You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Jason Buck from the Mutiny Fund, and it's my distinct pleasure to sit down with legendary trader Mark Cahotis. Now, I thought they were originally going to get us together so Mark and I could talk about heirloom chicken breeds, uh, molting season, and rotational uh, grazing with your chicken farm. But unfortunately, uh, a lot's gone on in the last week, and we have a lot uh, to talk about and break down. And we're going to talk from, you know, topically what's going on, and we want to deep dive into kind of the nuance of what's been going on in the markets with this Wall Street bet, GameStop, uh, Robinhood, and everything's been going on in the markets. But I want to start maybe with, Mark, a little bit about your career as a short seller. And maybe part of that is you can delineate what's the difference between an actual short seller and a long short hedge fund. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I don't want to get too concentrated. People think that I'm a promoter of this, that, and the other. But this is a complex, complex issue. And I think it's very important. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I think it's important to get the facts right. So. To your point, I've been at this since 1982. I go after bad people, bad companies, frauds, criminals, things like that. And there are very, very, very few people left on the planet who do this. And, and not only does it serve a purpose, let's use my friend Jim Carruthers as an example. He single-handedly exposed insis, which is that fentanyl selling drug company where the main guys are going to go to prison, which killed tens of thousands of people. And if not for his work, others would not have never picked it up and the company could still be doing what they're doing. I don't know how much Carruthers and his fund made or lost on insis, but he served society a greater good. The same thing with the people who exposed the money laundering fraud of Wirecard. My friend Fraser Perry ended up in someone's trunk. I mean, he's lucky they didn't kill him. And whether it's me exposing AAI Farm over the years or others exposing Valiant or Concordia or my battles with my medics, media vision, you know, people have ended up in prison because of real diligent work by members of the short community who do their work. And those people right now are in danger of going out of business, will be out of business, are out of business, or very, very, very close to being out of business. Probably the dedicated short funds across the world probably now are down to less than a billion dollars. I think Chanos is functionally done. I think Carruthers is functionally done. This is very sad for me, but you can't, under the current circumstances, run a business where names can go up between five and 100 times on you in a week. There's no way to hedge yourself against that kind of existential risk. And to me, it's very sad, which is why I think it's very important to speak out. I don't have a fund. I haven't had a fund 
for years. I'll never have a fund. I don't want to have a fund. It's a, it's a miserable, miserable existence. So of the diehard people who do this work at a very high level, you have Grego, you have Frazier, you have a few others who, as some people would say, activist shorts, Aurelius does a really good job. But most of the, as we segue from the people, the legacy people who do this at a high level, most of these activist shorts, as I call them, are smash and grab guys. Uh, they shouldn't be allowed to do, I mean, they can be allowed to do whatever the hell they want to do, but they take a short position in the morning, they write a report in the afternoon, and they cover at night. And that's no way to run a railroad. It deceives people. It's bad. It pisses the Robin Hood and the Reddit and regular investors off. And that's why you get the legacy hate for those type of people, the activists. And part of that is they're, they're off sort of, they also have a long part of their book and the prime brokers are allowing them to have extreme leverage. So they've got these long and shorts and they're playing this leverage game during the risk on cycle. And so I just want to clearly delineate the difference between a short seller and a long short fund. That's You're jumping one second ahead of me. Uh, I've talked about the second group, which is the activists. And then the third group, which I have absolutely no stomach for, are these long short managers, which use excessive leverage. And that would be derivatives of the SAC crowd and Melvin, who got in trouble, and derivatives of the Tiger Cub crowd, who got in trouble. And you either have a long book or a long book mixed with a short book, but you don't need excessive leverage in these markets and in these days. You put, you put the system at risk. And, and what happened with Melvin and or SAC and or who led to it? unclear exactly who led to it. These guys should not be on leverage. They should not be on excessive leverage. If you can't make normal returns in this market, you probably shouldn't be in the business. Because when you use excessive leverage and you have prime broker issues, brokerage firm issues, contagion risk, factor risk, it leads to huge problems. Huge problems like the ones we've seen. And, and the truth and the facts are all very elusive. The, fact, the truth, everyone has their own truth, but there really is only one truth. And, and I can't stand what's gone on. I can't stand how the media has characterized this. They've dummied this down to the upstarts, the revolutionaries against the suits. That's not the, that's not the message. The message is everyone who can trade should be able to trade. Everyone who has an investment account should be able to invest however you want. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to put little league batters up against Bob Gibson pitching because that will not work out well. It can work out okay for a batter or two, but it's not going to work out well over time. And I want to stick a big ass stake in the ground to say, this is very wrong. Instead of working on the political narrative, people need to work how to fix the system so it's fair for all concerned. It's not fair for the big guy. It's not fair for the little guy. And, and it's extraordinarily dangerous with what's going on. Extraordinarily so. So I think it's important to speak out. And if I have to speak out every day, so be it. But, but those, are the, those are the three pods. We have the real serious people like myself, Chanos, Carruthers, a handful of others. 
We have the pretenders, which are these activists who run the smash and grab things. And we have the over leveraged in it to make a buck however they can uh, as the long, short over leveraged hedge fund. So that's that's the landscape as I see it. And that's th- those are really the three categories. Exactly. I'm glad you delineated it for us. And we'll come back to this idea of systemic leverage in the system. But I just want to clearly highlight that, like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're on the side of the little guy. You're on the side of these Wall Street bet guys. It's just you can't understand why they're uh, upset or attacking, you know, actual, you know, guard dogs of, of frauds, those kind of short sellers. They're on the same team. It's the other guys that are on a different team. And people may get upset about the short sellers in Tesla. So then, you know, maybe Elon and Chamath come after the short sellers or they pile onto this bandwagon when they have an ax to grind against people that are just trying to play the, you know, take the other side of their, uh, their long book. Well, see, that's a hundred percent correct. I probably get a dozen DMS a day from people who lost their absolute ass in names I was involved in. Concordia in Canada, HomeCap in Canada, MyMedics, you name them, I get it from them. And one story is sadder than the next. They're so bad, I feel like sending them sending them money. That's, that's how bad it is because people have lost it all. And they say, if I would have only listened, if I would have only known about you, if I would have only paid attention. Well, I don't go on the Cartoon Network, which is called CNBC, on purpose because it's bullshit finance dummied down to fool and betray the little guy. I'm friends with the little guy. I like I like the upstarts. I like the individual being able to do well because that's what the society is about. I can't stand when they get screwed. But the problem is when I speak out against frauds, I get uh, an FBI visit from a bribe senator. I get sued. I get threatened. I have a disabled son. His life's been threatened dozens of times, and and it's no fun. And eventually, I'm 60 years old. Eventually, you say, "What the fuck am I doing this for?" And I keep coming back to, "I'm doing it to try to make a difference, to try to move the needle, to try to help fellow man out, because the brothers here are going to get laid away." And and whether it's GME, I'm I'm not involved in any of these names, GME, iRobot, EXPR, whatever, whatever it is, the silver short. People should never, ever, ever, ever buy a name because of a short squeeze. That's the absolute worst reason to do anything. If you like something and there's a short, well, the game's on and we'll see what happens. But this whole concept to think that you're you're squeezing or harming the man or the suit or whatever is very, very, very misplaced. Um, The guys who own baseball teams are these leverage long-only funds, not the short seller. You have the Teppers of the world and this clown Plotkin who blew himself up and the guys who own the Milwaukee Bucks. These guys are a dime a dozen, and the only way they have money and have made their fortunes is through use of excessive leverage. Same thing with Stevie Cohn. He's not so smart. He's He's not that good at all. I paid a billion dollar fine to the government for playing around with funky information. He's back at it. He should never have been let back at it. And he uses he uses an inordinate amount of leverage to get his returns. And that's not right. And Elizabeth Warren, who I like, and and my lawyers this weekend, we wrote a letter to, to some senators. Her idea of a wealth tax is 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 populist and it could make some sense. 
But what I'm going to say is very important, and I hope people listen to it. There should be something called a too big to fail tax. Everyone who's viewed as financially significant should pay a huge tax up front so that you and I and fellow taxpayers don't have to pay extra taxes or we're on a bigger deficit to bail these guys out. They should pay money up front. If you're too big to fail like Citadel or SAC or Goldman or the banks or the brokerage firms, or if you use excessive leverage, you should pay a significant tax every year, every quarter on every trade to cover the system in case there's an accident. And there was an accident this past week. And there was an accident by some lowlife who runs a fund called Melvin. And it, and it got contagious across the globe and to other funds, and it caused a disaster. It's not a Lehman moment. That stuff is over-dramatized uh, or whatever that word is. But it created a huge problem for a lot of folks. And, and that shouldn't be that way. If you have a problem in your portfolio with your trades, you should pay a price pay a heavy price. If you go out of business, it happens. But you shouldn't be in a position to bring down brokerage firms, friends of yours, short sellers, leverage players. It shouldn't be allowed to happen. So the use of leverage, the use of leverage by these punks who, make, who have more money than brains is the problem. It's not the Robin Hood guys. It's not the Reddit guys. It's the excessive leverage by hedge funds that that have caused significant problems for others and for the system. And we'll come back to like how do you you know regulate that in the future and and quite frankly like you said that's the game right as soon as you can get your hedge fund to tens of billions of dollars then your primes will give you excessive leverage and then if you blow up you have a government backstop they'll come exactly. bail you out and that's that's the game. Exactly. That's the game and it becomes money. Joe Sixpack, for lack of a better term, Joe and Jane Sixpack, who are Robin Hood accounts or they got an account at IB, they look at these people and they say, what's so great about Stevie Cohn? How did he get his money? Well, you know, find out how he made his money. Find out how he gets his. It's not that he's that smart. He knows how to beat and knows how to game the system with excessive leverage. Same thing with Ken Griffin at Citadel. Same thing with the Tiger Cubs. Same thing with all these spinoffs. So the average guy gets pissed off and they get pissed off for very good reasons. And then when these guys fail, it's those guys getting bailed out. So, so the problem is the problem is everything needs to get restructured, rebuilt, reformulated, recircuited. So the system itself is not at risk. Goldman makes a fortune by lending to these guys. They make it in stock loan. They make it on margin. They make it on, on giving, guy, giving guys more money. And that's the problem. If you can't make money just picking stocks one way or the other, excessive leverage can only kill you. And, and that's the misnomer here. I mean, you, you won't be able to make as much money at a 2 and 12 or 2 and 20 or 3 and 30 fund. You won't be able to make as much money. But again, if you're a decent stock picker and you're worth a shit, you don't need leverage. You just go out and you play it straight up. You play it man to man. And, and to the victor goes the spoils. 
And let's talk about that systemic leverage that also applied to the actual business of Robinhood. So all along, they were selling that order flow. That's how it was a free app for most people that don't understand that. They're selling the their customers' order flow to the Citadel, Susquehanna's, Jane Streets of the world. And they're, they're bringing in money for that. Not only that, they're lending out um, those stocks for the for the short interest players. So they're they're reaping the, the margin gains and, and the income off of that and not sharing it with their customers. So they're taking in money on, on all different sides of the trade. And then when it comes to, you know, volatility picks up and there's a there's a large amount of players piling into to GameStop and these other low float stocks, all of a sudden the the regulators, the clearinghouses, whether it's DTCC or OCC, hey, it says, hey, you have to post more margin because a lot of times these trades are T plus two. They may not settle for two days and then it, it gets uh, commensurately adjusted to each brokerage house. And so they had to post, you know, some say, I mean, like, as you alluded to before, it's like a fog of war. None of us know exactly what happened. We're trying to piece it together. But they had a margin call, some say upwards of 4 billion, and they maybe negotiated down to 700 million to a billion. And they're trying to scrape that money together to make that margin call. And this is why they limited their customers to to only sell orders and no buy orders. So once again, they the regulators allowed them to take an enormous amount of size of leverage that wasn't a prudent amount in case something like this happened. And now they get put in a rock in a hard place and they're trying to scramble for funds everywhere. And quite frankly, if they just said, you know, if they were on the side of their customers and said, well, we can't post that margin, we're going bankrupt. Well, everybody bought those stocks in a margin account, not just cash settled account. And as you know, now it goes into all the lawyers for 18 months and they can't get out either. So like everybody was fucked all the way around. And it's because of the systemic leverage and people think a bad day is never going to happen. You're 100% right, but but here's the simple, here was the simple fix. All these brokerage firms and banks for that matter will give you all the leverage you want when you're doing well. When you're doing well, they'll blow smoke up your ass. They'll give you whatever you want. But when things go rocky, they are the first to cut your throat. They are the first to cut your throat. And the simple solution with Robinhood, the problem with Robinhood and the simple solution is, is they stopped and disallowed trading for one class of investors, which is never good. That, that is, to me, a hard stop and is not okay. What they easily could have done, me being the CEO of Robinhead, and let's say you being the head of operations, I would have said, hey, Jason, what's our VAR in, Rob, what's our VAR in GME, uh, AMC, and all these funky names? And a VAR is, is value at risk. And someone would have said, we have 4.2 billion of exposure here. And I would have said, that's too much. And then you'd say, what do we do? And I'd say, let's go to 300% margin on these names. In other words, if you want to hold long or short GME, 300%. Right. If you own 100 grand or short 100 grand or options in the name, you got to put up three times the amount of equity. Now, by doing that, you discourage trading in those names. You discourage it, but it's not a hard stop. If you want to play those names, that's the cost of playing poker. That way, you're you remain open. You remain people if they want to trade, trade. If they don't want to trade, don't trade. You know, you have house rules on margin, which are negotiable, and then you have Fed rules, which are non-negotiable. The Fed margin requirements, the Reg T is a non, that is a hard stop rule. There is no wiggle room in that. There's plenty of wiggle room in, in house 
margin rules. And, and Robin Hood got played. They got played by Citadel. They got played by big players on that day where they shut it off for their customers. And it was a huge disservice for all involved. And people didn't even understand what the hell margin is or what margin calls are. They just don't understand it until it's too late. And that's a shame. And the byproduct of that is you piss off a lot of people. And the people who get pissed off are guys like Portnoy. And, and he has a reason to be pissed off. And he has a big following. And he has a big mega, megaphone. And on one hand, you have the Portney crowd. Then you have the Chamath crowd. And then you have the Elon Musk crowd. Then you have professionals, or let's call them suits. And no one gets along. No one can talk to each other. Everyone is, is dictating their point of view. There's no facts being kicked around. There's no hard evidence being kicked around. It's just a lot of screaming and jostling and the shorts are the enemy and, and all this and all that. And the average person doesn't take the time to think it through. They don't take the time to say what's really at play here. And it becomes a political game and it becomes a CNBC issue where they have rappers on who don't know the first thing about GME or whatever saying, hold tight. This guy, I mean, these guys can barely tie their shoes, yet alone give investment advice. And, and I always quote, hold on. You know, I always break this out. You know, this is the quote of the day. There it is. And it's from the New York Times. And it's dated Saturday, April 15th, 2000. So it's almost 20, you know, 21 years ago. It's almost 21 years ago. And it says the quote of the day, in quotes, the lesson is going to be the market is not a game. The market is not a casino. It's a serious thing for serious people. And if you're wrong, be prepared to lose. Mark Cahotis. And, and that's 21 years old. And I could repeat that quote today. And it's 100% true today as it was 21 years ago. And the market could go up, the market could go down. Everyone's entitled to opinion. People can own stocks, commodities, this, that, or the other. But unless the government and the powers that be get this leveraged situation squared away so Joe Sixpack doesn't get rat-fucked by, by the man and know what's going on, you're going to get more and more and more of this class warfare, if you will, or struggles behind the suits putting it to the guy. And, and, and it's deeply troubling to me because you're talking about people's life savings here. We're not talking about monopoly money. We're talking about real money. And I'm happy when people make. And I'm sad when people lose because I like to see everyone do well except my enemies, which which I look to put in the ground. But the average person, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy about the movement. I'm happy people have made money in equities during the pandemic. But, but things need to change. Other, otherwise, we're going to have more of the GMEs, maybe in the opposite direction, more margin issues, more brokerage firms hiccuping, and more sophisticated people trying to disadvantage the average guy. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And everybody thinks it's like your, your right to trade and everything like that. And it should be, but it's almost like our right to free speech. It's not quite what we think it is. And so I think it's interesting your take on, you know, where Robinhood made a mistake is they could have changed the margin requirements to reduce maybe some of the selling pressure. They could have also maybe routed those orders through different brokerages that maybe were cash settled. And so they would have taken a hit on that, but they would end up, you know, probably looking a little bit better in the end. But also at the same time, they may have just been in panic mode. And we, and we all, know, all know how that looks like if you get a, a margin call and you're, you're in panic mode and they haven't really thought it through. Do you think there was any sort of nefarious things behind, you know, behind the lines of, you know, somebody got tapped on the shoulder in a smoke-filled room in the middle of the night? Or you just think this is part of the whole systemic, you know, over-leverage risk scenario? Well, it's been well documented what happened to me with Goldman Sachs. And I'm a total believer in stuff happening in smoke-filled rooms. I, I have a sneaking suspicion the New York Fed got involved and tapped Robin Hood and others on the shoulder and basically said, you clowns better get this fucking straight and settle, slow it down. Otherwise, you're going to blow the whole thing up. Uh, that's why I think they stopped trading that day because this margin solution was available and would have been simple and it would have been elegant. And I think Citadel has issues and Citadel needs to be investigated up, down and bottom because they're on all sides of every trade and they know what's going on and it's not okay. And he's too big to fail. He should have failed in 2007, 2008, 2009. He was over leveraged, but they bail, they bail him out. So this all gets back to the too big to fail, play the game, make as much as you can off the system at the expense of the system and the little guy, and it need, and it needs to be changed. And people need to get into it, you know, while this is fresh in people's minds and try to fix it and try to fix it and try to say there need to be checks and balances in the system. And if the market's up every year for the past 900 or whatever, whatever the hell it is, right, let's slow it the fuck down so there aren't traffic accidents. It's literally like giving a 16-year-old a brand new Ferrari and say, here we go. You know, mash the gas, let the computers do whatever. And 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 God bless the guy who made a bunch of money in his GME calls. You know, he's going to pay a fair amount of taxes on that, and which is good, which will help society. But when you put that example in front of people, they say, I can do that too. Yeah, I know you can do it too, but the chance of that happening again is slim and none and slim left town. And, and let's understand the process or understand your process before going hog wild into these things, because it's a dangerous game if you lose. And I don't want to see people lose. I do not want to see See people lose. They will. They people. You know, there's winners and losers all the time. But I don't. I don't generate excitement seeing Joe Sixpack lose. I sure don't. It's interesting, actually. The even the trade was even more nuanced to that. Especially, you know, one posting the most about it was Roaring Kitty for his, his usual handle name in DFV. Is that 
it started out as a classic value trade. Going back into 2019, he was buying, he was long GameStop at a, at a value trade starting at $4. And so actually most of his returns are actually were just on straight long stock. It's just towards the end when the Wall Street bets, when it got upvoted, where a lot of people piled into long call positions because that's how they can leverage that trade. But then on the backside of that, as you alluded to, there's going to be a lot of people that are the last ones, um, you know, trying to grab a chair when the music stops. And so a lot of a lot of people are going to get burned out of money they don't have to 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 spend on these trades. So it's like how do you how do you address that in your head? It's like you don't want to tell anybody how to live their life, right? And a lot of us learned doing stupid things in our teenage and early 20s and we made I know I was I was long tech names in late 90s, right? Because I was a teenager. I didn't know any better and getting burned on that allowed me to dive into the markets and learn better. I mean, how do you not be paternalistic about what people should do with their time and money? You know, that's a good question. There's no set answer to that. But back when in the 90s and turn of the century, the internet and social media was nowhere where it is today. And people can get whipped up into frenzies about all sorts of concepts. I don't have a lot of answers other than people. My advice, if I was king for the day, was you should know what you own. You should be able to tell a seventh grader what you own or what you're short in a paragraph or less. I can't explain Bitcoin or crypto in a paragraph or less, so I've never touched it. People say, how come you're not in it? Because I can't explain it. I don't know what I own. And if I don't know what I own, why would I ever want to be in it? I want to be able to explain it. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm savvy as hell and I'll outwork, I'll grind anybody. And you need to know the reasons that you're in the trade. And if the reasons you're in the trade is the short squeeze or infinite squeeze or whatever, that's, in my opinion, that's a pretty bad reason. But these this fast money, I mean, CNBC runs a show. What's it called? Fast money. There is no such thing as fast money, okay? that That's like sheer stupidity. I mean, I could say fast money sponsored by sheer stupidity because you can be an investor and there are some good ones, or you can be a trader and there's some great ones, but you really have a hard time being both. There's very few people I know who are good investors and good traders. I know great traders. I know great investors. I know very few who are both. And, and I think that if you're a regular person, I think you say I'm an investor and I'm in for the run, or I'm a trader and I think I can get in and out. And I think you need to learn the disciplines because it's not a game. Everyone can do whatever they want to do. Right. I mean, my short term solution, which I think is a big solution to the problem, is you have a excessive leverage or HFT tax on it. So the government has a kitty and has a pool in case things go bad. And if you're a member and you get in trouble, you tap into it. You've paid into the fund, sort of like the FDIC, and you don't break the system every time. And if Robin Hood's a bad actor, tighten it up. I mean, I mean, everyone thought Robin Hood was going to go out of business. They could fold Robin Hood into Schwab. E-Trade, TD, Morgan Stanley, Citibank, 24-7, 365, and they'd be happy to take them. Robinhood was never at risk. They could have folded them in, and that would have been that. So everyone's saying Robinhood's going out of business. That's just spreading fear. That's that's not right. Or for once, they could have actually stepped in and provided the liquidity to the little guy instead of the investment banks and the hedge funds, right? Yeah, I think before we got on this thing, I was reading that Robin Hoods took in $3.4 of capital. I mean, shit, they could take in 13.4 of capital. There's plenty of money 
out there looking to do things, but Robinhood needs to do things the right way. They need to do things the right way where they don't, one, screw their customers, and B, screw the system. And if it's not run by adults, well, God damn it, find adults who can run the thing and be responsible. You know, they're, they're going to get, you know, they have that guy who never washes his hair on CNBC and, and he has no answers. He doesn't know what the fuck business he's even in or how they do things. And he doesn't have answers. He doesn't have good answers to hard questions. I mean, must ask him some, some questions on something called Clubhouse. The guy didn't seem to have really good answers to me. And if I think he knew his business in and out, he would have never have gotten his ass in this kind of trouble. And he'd warn his customers so if people lose their money, they don't blow their damn brains out. Your original pitch deck or premise to your company was to start a free trading app that sold the order flow to Citadel, Jane Street, Susquehanna. I mean, it's not exactly starting off on a, a Robin Hood lookout for the retail guy basis. No, I mean, what did someone say? Citadel has gone from 3.6 billion revenues to 6.4 billion revenues in a year. Forget even profits. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, they're they're the winning bidder of a free look into everyone's account and everyone's trades. And and I don't know how that's Robinhood like. I mean, it benefits the company Robinhood, but it sure doesn't benefit you or me or anyone who has a Robinhood account. And they make themselves easy marks at the detriment of their customers. So so it, it, it all just slides back to everyone is looking to make a fast buck at the expense of others. And when the thing goes bad, right, then everyone tries to cover their ass and, and play the blame game. My deal would be, why don't we get this right the first time? Or why don't we get this right up front so there isn't a disaster on the backside? So there's not a disaster. Now, if that means, Ken Griffin, you don't make $15 billion this year, you only make thirteen, and you can only buy you know, a billion dollars worth of houses and not 10, so be it, right? Or or SAC doesn't buy the Mets, so be it, right? But at least you don't put the system at risk. And if you want to put the system at risk, pay your fair share up front so if something breaks, it can be fixed without panicking everybody. I mean, it's just that to me is a simple solution to some very complex problems. And the problems are complex. And like you said, there's a there's a prudence to what you're saying. But what you alluded to before, though, is that you have a very Hyman Minsky problem, right? As long as the good times are rolling and everybody's making money, they think the, the system's becoming more stable and they have nothing to worry about. And that's right when you hit the air pocket of inst- where the stability brings instability and then everything crashes because there's too much leverage and, and, and lack of liquidity in the system. But it's unfortunately not the way humans think. So what you're saying has a very long-term, pragmatic, prudent uh, philosophy about it is not how people operate a lot of times in the real world. And that's how we get into these situations. Oh, yeah. I mean, admittedly, I know I'm fucked in the head and I, and I know I'm not right. But every trade and every investment I make, I expect to win. And when I do well, people say, are you, are you happy? You should, you know, what are you going to do tonight to celebrate? I said, I'm not happy. I said, all I do is spend time going over the mistakes I make and and not to make them again. And I am hardest on myself. 
I never allow myself chance to say, damn, I'm, I really was something here. I mean, sometimes I do to rub some guys who I can't stand, but I'm always looking at what can go wrong or what I do wrong. Right. And, and, and if people and, and the regulators and the guys who dole out the leverage, instead of trying to capitalize on the greed and the straight up, focus on how do we make this better? How do we make this more bulletproof? How do we get everyone involved in this while limiting or trying to at least cover existential risk? stuff outside the box that can happen. And if we had more of that, everyone would slow their role and people and the system would would be in a whole lot less risk. I mean, it used to be you enter an order, you call your broker and the broker would then phone a floor broker and it would go to a specialist. Now it's all computerized, run in front of a computer, high frequency trading, free trading, trading for a penny, it's so fast, no one can figure out when it's time to manually do it or throw on the brake. And that's a whole nother problem. When stocks used to be an eighth or a quarter, or there was a spread of five cents, there was money in it. So the citadels didn't have to pay for flow to run in front of trades, to, to find out what someone was doing and, and knowing what was going on and gaming the system that way. So there's a whole lot of problems that have been built in and some of it may or may not be off subject, but everyone just needs to slow down, quantify risk, delever, system needs to delever, pay more front end taxes by the guys who are systematically significant, who can break things down. And everyone needs to respect everyone a little more on all sides of the ball to at least have the facts straight. Everyone's entitled to an opinion. If you think Tesla can go to 9,000, God bless you, buy it, or it goes to 200, God bless you, short it. But there there needs to be a, a much better free flow of information and people being willing to know the facts, but have opinions based on facts. That 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 would be a long way to to get things quasi fixed, but that may be Pollyannish on my part. No, as you know, I agree. It's interesting as, as guys that run um, protection strategies for people, there is never a good day because the days we're actually making money, other people are losing their, their life savings. And so there's just never a good day. It's, it's just, you're always, uh, I guess you take pride in the craftsmanship, but there's never really a good day to celebrate. But if I want to go back for a second, just for maybe the people that don't understand real short selling or even a, a short squeeze, which happened last week. Could you kind of explain the mechanics a little bit of putting on a short position and how if it goes against you, you can just get your face ripped off? Well, there's two kinds of short squeeze. In order to short a stock, you have to borrow the shares. So you're always on margin because when you borrow the shares, that requires the use of leverage. So if you own, if you own stock in GME, in order for me to short it, I have to borrow it from somebody. So I'm borrowing the stock which is a margin situation. Now, depending on who your broker is, you can borrow three times the value, two times, one time, whatever. And we've had a brief discussion on margin. One, you can get squeezed if you lose your borrow. If all of a sudden the borrow goes away and someone pulls my borrow, it's illegal to be short a stock without a borrow. 
So the prime broker will, in quotes, buy me in. So that's one form of squeeze. The other form of squeeze is when a stock goes up, you lose money on the denominator, your account, let's say a million dollars. Let's say your short game stop at 20 and it goes to 40. You lose, you lose half your money. The numerator goes up because instead of being short a million shares at 20, you're short a million shares at 40. So you're down $20 million. So your numerator rises to 40 and your denominator goes down by 20. So you have much more exposure, if you will. Your broker or prime broker then calls you and asks you to put up more collateral. And as you put up more collateral, you have a choice of putting up more collateral to cover your losses or you cover. If you cover, you create a situation where your short gets squeezed because instead of putting up more collateral, you decide to close the position. So what happened last week wasn't people losing borrow. You could borrow all the GameStop you wanted. What happened was people didn't have the collateral to put up. So everyone closed their position. I'm not going to say at once, but in close proximity to each other. And they closed AMC and they closed iRobot and they closed costs and they closed everything else. So you had an absolute bloodbath uh, as anyone who short these type of names. Now, the people who do the real work, you know, the first crowd, the Carruthers, myself and other crowd, no one is short these kind of names. No one's stupid enough to be short GME at a very low level with a huge short interest or AMC. The bloggers, who knows? I don't know what those clowns are involved in, but the over-leveraged hedge funds are the people who created the problems. And to keep them from creating problems going forward, they shouldn't be bailed out. They should just be put out of business and they should learn their lesson. And when they learn their lesson, maybe they're allowed to come back and play. So the worst thing in my mind that happened to the market was SAC and Citadel bailed out Melvin. They should have let him go out of business and they should let all those guys go out of business. And that way everyone will learn the lesson that, that you're not too big to fail. But you know, I'm not, I'm not king and I'm not God. I just have strong opinions. But like you said, on both, on both sides, if you lose on that trade, you're a big boy, take your losses and move on instead of getting bailed out, whether you're retail or you're institutional, it shouldn't matter. We, we, both, we all play this game and, and you got to take your lumps with your wins and, and that's just part of the game. But part of what um, what happened last week too is also what they call a gamma squeeze. And I'll just briefly, you know, if people are buying out of the money calls, the dealer has to hedge that position. So they'll buy some of the stock to hedge their risk because they're short that call. And if it's at a 10 delta, it means they have to buy 10% of that stock to, to hedge that risk, which also could then drive up that stock, especially if it's getting short squeezed. And so now it's up to a 20 delta. They have to buy twice as much stock. If it goes up to 40 delta, they have to buy more. And that buying pressure also lifts the stock. And that's that's what creates a gamma squeeze. And so you had all of these you know, mechanics involved with this GameStop trade that all came, came to roost at one time. But it's like you pointed out, it's a very um, kind of one-off trade. Like these things rarely happen. It, it, it was, you know, small caps, small float, you know, just the mechanics of this kind of worked out. But is it fair to say from your perspective in in just uh, looking at an overarching terms that shorts like you are looking to short frauds while other people are looking to short fundamentals or just trying to play a quick game? It's more like a, a long versus short-term game. Is that a way to look at it? That's one way to look at it. I mean, the genesis of the 
GameStop deal is I think the stock went from 50 to three or four. I mean, the short sh should have just covered it. I mean, I use this line that someone once told me when a stock went from two to three, I said, why is it up? Why is it up to three? And this guy told me people would pay $3 just to see two rats fuck. And, and these guys made so much money on the GME trade, the arrogance of Plotkin and Melvin and SAC, they should have just covered the thing and moved on. Instead, they let the thing stay. They let the thing hang around. It started going up. I don't know if they shorted more of this, that, and the other. They should have just covered it when it was three, four, five, six, whatever, and been done with it. The thing was bombed into the ground and the market's high and the market's speculative. So they sort of you know, dug their own grave with that. But the, but the thing on the gamma squeeze that you brought up, I had a very, very, very smart guy, a pal of mine who used to be in the business. His name is Doug Rudish. He used to manage money for Bain. He says, he thinks, you know, and I think a case can be made that when you do this gamma squeeze or try to do something like that, you do it with other, others, it's collusion. And collusion in terms of manipulating a stock is highly illegal. So I think the government needs to look into all aspects of the GameStop thing and see if someone colluded with others to create this gamma squeeze, because that's a problem in itself. And, and, and those guys could be in real trouble. It's no problem if you go do it yourself, but if you collude with a bunch of big money guys to do it, I think that's, that's legally a, a, a real problem. No different than when I talked to a couple of pals of mine, we said, if we would have done to GameStop on the other side, put out a bunch of stuff on Reddit, shorted a bunch of the stock, bought a bunch of puts into oblivion, and the stock would have collapsed, we wouldn't have been investigated. We would have been arrested within seven minutes. And they would have had it on the national news about Cahotis and his gang of three colluded to drive the price of, of the stock down. Everyone's accused of that on a daily basis. Bear raid, short and distort, you know, the whole thing. But when things go up, People view it as therapeutic and it's okay because no one's no one's going to have any parade or no one's going to do anything to help the, the shorts. But however it is, you shouldn't collude to trade stocks. You shouldn't manipulate stocks. You shouldn't buy stocks just because of a short squeeze. You should buy it or short it because you have fundamental basis. And again, this all ties into fast money, quick buck, cartoon network, isn't this fun, guys making a lot of money, all's great. You know, party like it's 1999, no problem with that. I have as much fun as the next guy, but know what you're playing with here. The government should know that these clowns put the system at risk and take steps and learn from it so this shit doesn't happen again. Or if it does happen again, Adults know what to do, who to stop, how to put things in places so it doesn't put the system at risk. I mean, it's it's this is what adults, regulators should do. This is what their pay, this is their job. I don't do their job, but this should be part of their job and job description. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Yeah, and I think about 
you know, when you, I wanted you to kind of touch on, you know, what it's like to actually put on a short position, have it go against you or short squeeze, especially when you're trying to find frauds and you're trying to be that, that watchdog. You know, I think about, I learned a lot from your experience in, in the GFC in 2008, 2009, as far as, you know, we're always looking for managers that can, you know, handle long volatility and tail risk in case markets go down. And I stay away from uh, short sellers, unfortunately, because of the dynamics of shorting. One, you have a left skew to that trade if it goes against you. But more importantly, uh, your prime can absolutely screw you on your borrow at the most inopportune time. So for the people that are, I, I hate to make you go over this again, but for people that are new to, to Marco Hodes, to know what side you're on of this, of, the, of the, all of this nonsense, it'd be, I think it'd behoove them to like hear a little bit about your story of like your short frauds going into 2008, the market's collapsing and you just get absolutely fucked by your prime broker. I mean, it's, it's like this, this PTSD moment when you bring that up. So if people haven't heard the story, I did a real vision with Grant. I think I went over it for about 10 minutes. I'll try to do the Reader's Digest version of it. In 2008, we were very bearish going into the year, and we were up probably 35% in September. And we were not leveraged at all in terms of maybe we were 100% invested. And that would be 20 long, 80 short. 20% of our book was long, 80% short. Maybe we were 30, 70. When we also had a fellow working for me named Rick Sauer, who's a former enforcement attorney at the SEC. And in front of the subprime mess, he went to meet with Cox along with others. And Cox, Chris Cox, who was the head of the SEC, said they would never, ever, ever change rules without a 90-day consultation period uh, with market participants. So we didn't think the rules were going to change. Market gets a little funky, and the SEC puts a ban on short sales on what they would call about 500 too-big-to-fail names which was a hodgepodge of real companies and shitty companies. And I think that day, those names probably went up 30 to 35%. And we lost our ass. We must have lost 15% that day. So that was bad. So now we're up 20. The next day or the day after, the government put a restriction and mandatory buy-in on what they called reg SHO names, which were names that were having a problem failing. And we were short some of those. We were fully borrowed, or at least we were told we were fully borrowed. And those names went up another 20%. So Goldman calls me and says, you're extraordinarily volatile. I said, yeah, we've had two bad days. And I was only a customer of Goldman for 25 years then. And they said, you need, you know, we're changing your, your haircut from 30% to 70%. So, okay, what exactly does that mean right now? They said, well, you need to come up with 560 million of cash. I said, well, we don't have 560 million. We had some money over at Lehman and, and that was frozen because Lehman went bankrupt. We had positions over at Lehman and it should have been segregated, but it wasn't, which is a whole Lehman issue. That's that's story unto itself. So basically, Goldman put us in a margin call position because we didn't meet their house requirements. 
uh, I tried to offload names to Farallon and they agreed to take them, but Goldman called up Farallon and said, you can't take them because they'll be out of business in two days. So they fucked us on that deal. You know, at the time, my buddy Du Hamill at Farallon says, Citadel's leveraged at 18 to one. You're not even leveraged. You know, can you imagine if they put them out of business, which is why I've always had a hard on for Citadel. And all of a sudden, Goldman starts covering our shorts in a market that's falling apart. They basically took us, I think at the time we were up 10, they took us to down about 50 and, and they lied all the way around because they said we were fine when we were down 20, but then they just decided to liquidate us all together. And it's turned out I have subsequent emails, you know, from the overstock naked short case with Goldman that Goldman didn't have our names borrowed. But by then everyone's, you know, it's a miracle I didn't blow my brains out. Everyone was so fried, couldn't deal with it. So I think we ended the year down 50. But we had one managed account, which had nothing to do with Goldman. And Goldman couldn't fuck with that account. And I think that account for the year was up 126. So it was a disaster all the way around. It taught me to never be in this business again because your prime broker can fuck you every way to Sunday. And I think, you know, the guys at Goldman are a criminal operation. I mean, they've subsequently paid billions and billions and billions and billions of fines doing all sorts of illegal shit, as is J.P. Morgan. But they pay their billion dollars of fines from rigging silver to failure, just everything. The Malaysia fiasco. And uh, people just keep looking the other way. They, they pay billions and billions of fines like it's an excise tax. And they're too big to fail. And they own part of the government. And everyone in the government, at least on the financial sides, had a tenure at Goldman Sachs. And it's, uh, it's beyond disgusting. But I'm just a guy. You know, I'm just living my life, doing my thing. I'm a victim of a whole lot of things, but I sure don't feel sorry for myself, nor would I ever want anyone to feel sorry for me or anything I do. But it's a, it's a, it's a tough gig speaking out and, um, and trying to expose shit that's very wrong. It's a, it's a thankless endeavor. And you sure don't do it for the money. You do it because you want to move the needle and leave the world a better place than when you arrived, which... I think I've made a difference in a whole lot of people's lives and in things, but, but it's a, uh, it's jungle out there. Jungle rules apply. And if you don't realize you're in a jungle, you should probably get out of the game because it is as cutthroat, uh, ruthless um, as you can find. I mean, this is a, this is just a tough, tough, tough business, but, but I'm a tough guy. I mean, I, I, I am a badass when it comes to this stuff. And I'm not afraid of anybody and I'm not afraid of much. And I just sort of try to let the chips fall where they may. But these um, these prime brokers are uh, and the system guys were dastardly bunch. I mean, they are a dastardly, dastardly bunch who has no problem cutting your throat, uh, your firm's throat, individual's throat at any point in time. So just kind of a word to the wise of, of what can be out there, but it was a, it was a miserable, miserable time, miserable and uh, bad memory. 
Thank you for walking us through that. And it, believe me, it pains me to have you go through that again, seeing the pain that it, it brings up for you, that PTSD, as you alluded to, is like, but I think it was really important or imperative for people to hear your story, to know how much, how long you've had skin and soul in this game, to know where you're coming from, whose side you're on, to see what can happen to even somebody like you that's that's running a, a sizable fund and what they can do to you. And it, it, it pales in comparison to what they can do to the little guy and to see who you've been fighting for throughout your career. I think it's really important for people to see, to know your perspective. And when you talk about the other nuances to the story we're seeing, to know exactly where you're coming from. You know, part of that makes me think about, um, as you said, the, you're, you have this the guardrails of short sellers like you to to fight these frauds in the market and and to short these frauds, if they've now become so scared to to short the market because they don't want to get their face ripped off on on a on a short squeeze and they go away, what what are your concerns about those those guardrails on the short side going away if now everybody's just on the long side and we're on this over leveraged long side here? Well, are we are we ready to wind this down at some point? Because I figure I'll close this with something with something exclusive, even though my lawyer has sent it to people in the media. Absolutely. Let's start with what is your solution? What are letters? I mean, I know your tongue in cheek say they should put you as SEC chairman, but what would you do? That's that's not going to happen. Well, I got so, I'm so pissed off this past weekend watching the media misinformation that's out there. I decided to write a letter with my lawyer and it went out today and I've sent it to my lawyer sent it to different people at the media, but it's basically to Sherrod Brown, who's the chairman of the Senate committee on banking, Elizabeth Warren, senior member committee on banking. It's going to Maxine Waters. It's going to AOC. It's going to some other people. And it's entitled hearings regarding GameStop, which they've announced they're going to have. So I'll read it to real vision viewers. Maybe it comes out in the media, maybe it doesn't, but if it doesn't, here you go. Honorable Senators Brown, Warren, Congressman Waters, and Arcasio Cortez. I write to you on behalf of my client, Mark Cahotas, a private investor living in California. I was a federal prosecutor for 16 years, including several years as the US attorney in San Francisco. I have significant experience representing short sellers and prosecuting and defending people in accounting and other securities cases. Neither Mr. Cahotas nor I or ever have had any direct or indirect financial investment, short or long, in GameStop or AMC, the subject of recent press accounts and planned investigations by congressional committees. Instead, we are concerned about public comments that incorrectly criticize market skeptics and short sellers and and ignore market manipulations by supposed long investors. For more than 30 years, Mr. Cahotas has regularly provided valuable and timely information to the United States Security and Exchange Commission and the Department of Justice about companies engaged in fraudulent accounting and business practices, such as Learnout and Housebee, Media Vision Technology, Novastar Financial, Aremasoft, California Micro Devices, Network Associates, Take-Two Interactive, Krispy Kreme Donuts, Boston Chicken, and others. Some executives were criminally prosecuted, like the founders of Learnout and Housebee and, executive of, and executives of Media Vision. Between 2003 and 2005, Mr. Cahotas disclosed 
the manipulations at AAI Pharma, which led to the SEC and U.S. Department of Justice actions. The Harvard Business School published a case study in March 2013 about his successful efforts to expose the Novastar financial fraud in a short seller's battle. During the past few years, Mr. Cahotas correctly identified Concordia International and Mimetics, among others, as companies that had improperly inflated their financial results through accounting tricks and manipulations. He has been an outspoken critic of both. In the case of Concordia, the company's CEO filed a meritless defamation case against Cahotas, which was later dismissed and the company collapsed as a result of its poor management and improper conduct. In the case of Mimetics, the CEO of Mimetics used his political influence with former Senator Johnny Isaacson to cause the FBI to send two federal agents to Mr. Cahotas' home to threaten him into silence. It did not work. Ultimately, Mimetics withdrew multiple years of its own financial statements and the CEO and other executives were fired. Two Mimetics executives, including the same CEO, were convicted of financial fraud in the Southern District of New York last year. In sum, Mr. Cahotis is a proven track record of identifying companies whose financial statements and public statements provide false information to investors. And he's a successful short seller. That means when he identifies a company engaged in accounting misconduct, false statements or fraud, he invests so he will profit if and when the stock price goes down. Though short sellers are sometimes vilified, there's nothing wrong or nefarious about taking a negative position about a company. To the contrary, legitimate short sellers are among the best investigators I've ever met as a prosecutor. They actually read the financial statements and disclosures companies file with the SEC. They investigate company claims and they often report their findings to government regulators. There are no better sources of skeptical research than short biased investors because unlike the hordes of people who make investment decisions based on nothing more than someone in a magazine or online tells them, short sellers do the work. Because of the effectiveness, short sellers are often attacked personally. Mr. Cahotis has been threatened multiple times and as I noted, when now convicted criminal used his financial influence on a senator to, to intimidate him. The companies that attack short sellers are often the ones that hide a lot. Long investors who attack short sellers are often engaged in pump and dump, a manipulative scheme in which long investors convince uninformed investors to buy, claiming great prospects for a company, and sell stock before the market learns the truth. It is against this background of many years of experience that we write to volunteer to have Mr. Cahotas testify before the Senate Banking Committee and the House Committee on Financial Services. If you fail to listen to individual investors like Mr. Cahotas, whose commentary ultimately protects small and less sophisticated investors, you instead condemn all short selling based analysts and investors, you will undermine the federal security laws goals of an informed market and will set back civil and criminal security law enforcement dramatically. We look forward to hearing from you regarding Mr. Cahotis' offer to testify. Thank you in, in advance, David W. Shapiro. Perfect. I think that sums it up perfectly. We couldn't have said it any better ourselves. And I just want to thank you for coming on Real Vision. But more importantly, thank you for always standing up, raising your hand, raising your voice, and speaking out for everybody that's getting you know hurt in all these scenarios. So thank you again, Mark. You know, I try and thanks for having me. And this was a lot of fun. And, and, and hopefully the Senate takes me up on it. And if I and if I put it out there and they fail to act, it's on them. 
but I'm doing everything I can to raise my hand and say, this is wrong. I don't have a fund. I'm not trying to sell anyone anything. And, and this is, this is what I believe to be what's going on. So thanks for having me. I hope we move the needle and, and uh, it's going to be an interesting couple months, I think. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.